This is Joel. Joel, this is Gloria. Hi, Joel. Hi, Gloria. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. It's my first... I've never met anybody online before, so this is great. <laughs> it's strange times. Yeah. It is. It is. Welcome to Conversation on Tap, a quirky podcast that seeks to promote intelligent dialogue in an age of echo chambers and self-segregation. Pull up a stool for a glass of tasty beer and join us each week as we discuss all the topics that you were told not to discuss in Polite Company. My name is Jose. And my name is Joel. And this week we will be joined by the wonderful Gloria Soto, who is the city council woman here in Santa Maria. Um, but first, let's talk about what we have on tap. Joel, what are you drinking? Jose, I am embarrassed to say that I am totally out of beer because of coronavirus. Not that they don't have enough beer on the shelves, but I just haven't been able to get it. And now I have all my sons living at home with me. And so uh, between my wife and I and my sons, the beer goes fast. So I apologize. I'm going to be drinking air today. Oh, no worries. I'm continuing to drink this delicious, this um, non-PC named Negro Modelo, but <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really good. I could I could drink this all day long. So good. Yeah. yeah. All right, and now for the segment of our show that we call Fred Talks. In this segment of our show, Joel and I will each share one thing that we are passionate about for two minutes, though we tend to be long-winded, so that isn't a strict time limit. This week, I want to discuss the reason why Easter always falls on a Sunday. Hmm. By the way, when this episode is published, um, Easter will have already passed. So um, for us right now, as we record, Easter is in... Um, a few days. So Joel, do you know why Easter falls on a Sunday? I do not. I know that Easter is part of the, if I'm not mistaken, Hebrew calendar and is dependent on the moon. But besides that, I have no idea. Right. So um, for Christians, we celebrate Easter on a Sunday because Sunday is the first day of the week. Now, why is that significant? Um, for the Saturday night vigil mass, which is you know the night before Easter Sunday, uh, the first Bible reading is from the book of Genesis, the first chapter, which describes God's act of creating all of existence, all of reality, right? So day one, two, three, etc. And on the last day, the seventh day, um, God rests. So that represents the old creation. That first week represents the old creation. So Sunday is the first day of the week. So ah, very very symbolic Sunday because it represents Jesus resurrecting and thereby creating a new creation, introducing a new creation in his resurrection. So that's why it falls on a Sunday, first day of the week. I've always hated the fact that Sunday was on the first day of the week on our calendars because I like to write all the way across Saturday and Sunday. So I buy the calendars that have Saturday and Sunday together, and I wish that that was the norm. So dog on it, Christians! <laughs> That's funny. That's you gotta funny. allow us to have a, a more practical calendar. No, but that makes a lot of sense. It never made sense though to me to split up Saturday and Sunday. They should go together as our days off. 
Right. We, well, because we say weekend, but really right. it's weekends. It's the yeah, end. There you go. The week. It should be weekends and week beginnings. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what do you have, Joel? What's your Fred talk? Um, all right. So for my Fred talk, um, I'm going to go again away from religion and talk about this great uh, website called um, IHME. And um, I was super mad at the media um, this last few months because they never compare the predictions of these sites from one week to the next. I thought it would be so interesting to read how well they're doing in their predictions because if they're giving really dire predictions that aren't not coming true, then we need to like take that into account. I'm, I was so interested in, in, in finding any article that, that compares the prediction from one week to the other. And so what I did basically did is, is I took um, a couple of screenshots of the predictions for California, the United States as a whole, Texas, and, and New York from this site that I mentioned last uh, recording. And by the way, um, for those of you that want a great website, it is healthdata.org. I've mentioned it before. So, Jose, I'm going to quiz you right now. For the United States, do you think the predictions were too harsh or too naive or too basically too easy for the United States over one week? So one week ago, IHME made a prediction about coronavirus deaths in the United States. Do you think their prediction was low or high? I think the prediction was low. You're right. It was low, but not by a whole lot. But So they were pretty good. For for California, what do you think? Ooh, I think their predictions for California were also low. Their predictions for California were way off, but they predicted way more deaths for California, which makes me want to pat ourselves on the back. Oh, yeah, because, good. Um, okay. Yeah, no, seriously, we've done, I think, a remarkable job in California compared to other states of social, social distancing. Now yeah. let's go to New York. Low or high? Hmm, I'm going to go with low. I'm going to stick with the low pattern. Yeah, you're right. Uh, New York has actually had a few more deaths than this um, great website predicted. And then for Texas, they were actually too high. Texas is actually doing better than California. And that's really? probably we, – we have to take into account some states are way more rural than uh, California. And um, rural states will, by and large, have way less um, incidence of COVID. So anyway, I thought that was super interesting. Um, we in California are doing great and people keep on saying we might see, you know, this go all the way into summer, but I think there's a chance that we get done in June. I, I really do. That'd Maybe be nice. in May, who knows? That'd be nice. Let's wrap this coronavirus up. I got a summer to celebrate. Amen. All right, so for this segment of our show, we are so excited to have as our guest, Gloria Soto, City Councilwoman in Santa Maria. Uh, maybe go ahead and just tell us a little bit about yourself, Gloria. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. Um, I am a proud product of Santa Maria. That's how I always like to start. I was born here, raised here, um, educated here. Um, my parents are immigrants. They came to this country in 1988 from Mexico and were field workers. Um, they worked in agriculture for many years up until their retirement. And I love my community because I feel like it's a great 
representation of like who I am and where I come from, right? It's it, here in our community, it's it's really made up by by families who are working so hard to make ends meet, but to also not only that, but to also um, support their children and make sure that they have a thriving and successful future. And so um, that's, I mean, that's what our community is made up is it's hard working families who are um, every day just trying to do the best for their families. And what I think is so cool, um, actually, this is your first time being on a podcast. It is. So I'm a little nervous. <laughs> <laughs> Joel I'm nervous just meeting a council person. So this is fun. <laughs> oh, it is super fun. And the other cool thing, too, actually, is um, one of our former guests on this show was a guy named Scott Gillespie. <laughs> Mr. Gillespie! Yes! He was my um, sixth grade teacher. Oh, that's so cool. What school was that at? Tunnel School. Tunnel. Yeah. A good friend of both of ours, and I've been camping with him and love his family and his kids are my kids' friends. And it's uh, it's so cool to hear that you're a former student of his. He's a great guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. He is. He actually made it to my swearing-in ceremony. Yeah, so that was the first time I had seen him since I was a kid. Wow. Mm-hmm. And since we're doing shout outs, uh, we have to shout out, do a shout out for our field workers because those guys are going straight into the front lines right now and, and need a little thank you, a big thank you from all of us. I hope that they're, <laughs> I don't know to what extent they're, you know, taking precautions, but you got to hope that they're, and their bosses are letting them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then also, um, just briefly too, um, I think it's so cool. I mean, you're a young lady. I'm not going to ask your age, but I think you're younger than I am. I think it's so cool that you were part of this group of people in Santa Maria who are running for office, like Abraham Melendrez, um, who was on our podcast as well, ran for for school board. But other people like... Um, Osvaldo? Osvaldo. Oh, he's running right, right now, correct? Right now, uh-huh. There's so many young people who are running for office in Santa Maria, which I think is super cool. It is. It is. You know, um, so just to give a little context to those of you, to those who may not know much about Santa Maria, um, I was elected in November of 2018. Um, and that was the first election that was based out of districts here in the city of Santa Maria. And um, you know this, um, but it's it was a long battle just to get to district elections. I mean, we had community leaders and advocates fighting for years, literally years, um, to get more representation in our leadership, in our local government leadership. And um, and it was, it was really challenging. And so when we finally had this opportunity to, to have candidates run in districts rather than city at large, it just makes it so much more feasible for everyday Santa Marians, everyday working Santa Marians, working class people to be able to represent working class people. And so we knew that this was an opportunity that we could not lose. And so um, when my district couldn't find a, a candidate for my district, I decided to throw my hat in the ring and 
and and run. You know, a lot of it was based out of anger, anger for what had happened in 2016, um, anger for not seeing advancements or movements to help support people like my parents, my neighbors in my community, in my city. And um, and I, as someone who works with young people and who's always telling them, you know, go get your education, but don't forget about your roots. Don't forget to come back to your community because it's so much easier for a progressive to say, I'm leaving my conservative town and moving to LA or the Bay Area. Um, but in reality, if we want things to change, if we want that 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 change, we need to start at the local grassroots level. And we need all the troops in communities like Santa Maria to make sure that we get to um, where we need to be. Yeah, um, I'm really interested to know if you are, I assume, you, do you speak Spanish? I do. Could you possibly be the first Spanish-speaking council person we've had on our council? Which would be crazy if that's the case. <laughs> no, I'm not. Um, Hilda Zacarias. Okay, right. Hilda would have been. Okay, and, I forgot. Okay. And believe it or not, so um, you know, our mayor Alice Patino is also speaks Spanish. And oh, I didn't know that. Good for her. That's yeah, so important. It. We have a principal at El Camino, our first Spanish-speaking principal, and <laughs> of course we serve. Um, probably at least 90% of our parents speak Spanish and so critical for our leaders to be able to speak Spanish. So I'm just really happy that that's a change that's happening in our society. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's interesting because I've heard like um, some folks that I work with, like our mayor, for instance, or councilwoman at a Waterfield say things like, well, it's just that we're not the right type of Latinas, you know, and it has nothing to do with like, with race, ethnicity, age, or gender, it has to do with like being able to connect with all of your constituencies, right? All of your residents. And so um, here again in Santa Maria, the vast majority of our residents are are not just Latinos, but they're Spanish speakers. And mm -hmm. um, they're they're working class people, you know. I think I read somewhere there somewhere that about um, less than 16% um, of, of residents in our community, I believe, have um, you know, higher education. And so yeah, that sounds about right to me. Yeah, it's so important, right, that that we as leaders or those who get elected into office have a really good understanding of what's happening, right, um, with the many communities within our city or jurisdictions. And, you know, for me, it's like I would I think that diversity in any body of government is so incredibly important because, um, again, we are able to to um, address the needs of all of our um, residents, constituents, but then also when it comes down to decision making, we're all going to have different perspectives. And the more of a discussion, the more of a dialogue that we have, the better of a product we'll have at the end of the day for the benefit of our residents. But um, even though we do have like the mayor who speaks Spanish, I'm hearing constantly that um, there's still a lack of, um, representation, you know, where, you know, Span the Spanish-speaking community feels like they haven't really heard from leaders at the city level. And so during the COVID pandemic or during this time, that has only been more evident. It's been incredibly evident. And so, you know, I, I've decided that I can't wait for others to step up, that if I see a gap or a hole that I need to try and fill it, and that's what I've been trying to do during this time. 
Yeah. So as city council woman, has it been like a culture shock for you going from being Gloria Soto citizen to city councilwoman and maybe in- encountering these powerful, if you will, people in our town and maybe experiencing a disconnect between them and the everyday person? Oh my gosh, that's such a good question. So yes, you know, so I come from the nonprofit sector, right? I work for, I'm a proud Planned Parenthood employee. Um, I am an alumni and volunteer for Future Leaders of America. I'm a board member for the Fund for Santa Barbara. And so my entire career has been um, in the nonprofit sector, which is very much lovey-dovey hugs when we started meeting. How are you doing? How are you feeling? How's the family? And here, um, I, it was shocking to me um, that, you know, it was very much straight to business. It was black and white. And um, it was hard to see the the, the gray area and the in-between. And um, I think what was most shocking to me was the number of men that I would have to work with. Um, Again, coming from Planned Parenthood, um, our entire senior leadership is made up of women. And so um, I'm not used to working with, you know, men. And I know that sounds odd, but... um, Maybe it's not a bad problem to have, <laughs> but right. um, it was shocking to see that um, more often than not, I am the only woman in the room or, you know, not only the only woman in the room, but the youngest person in the room and the only person of color in the room and the only person in the room who sees the world from a different perspective. And so my first year in office, which I just finished, um, a lot of it was not not just like learning, you know, the intricacies of running a city or what makes a city work, but more so how to work with people who don't see the world from my point of view, how to work with people who whose politics do not align with mine whatsoever. And yeah. so um, how can I work with people who are completely different than me? And so um, I remember I was once in a meeting and again, the only woman in the room, the only person of color in the room and the youngest person by like 40 years in the room. Wow, and- that must have been tough. <laughs> <laughs> and so I remember speaking up on concerns that I had about um, mobile home park residents in our city and just what, a, you know, how vulnerable they are. And so um, I brought up a question regarding that. And um, in that moment, like I was completely dismissed and was told, you know, it's people from your side of the aisle that make things worse for people. You know, it's your people and wow. your chihuahuas. <laughs> I was like, wow. what does have to do with anything? <laughs> wow. But realizing and noticing that even when I would be in these professional settings where you would think, you know, as an elected, you have some sort of um, position of power, right? I I would feel so powerless because they wouldn't even look at me when they would answer my questions. Wow. Uh, So having to figure out, okay, do I sit in this this part of the table or this side of the room or, you know, just trying to take up as much space and asking myself, you know, how can I represent 
the people who elected me if I'm not even being seen or heard when I'm at the table. Right. And I think that's so powerful to hear. Thank mm-hmm. you. And so having to like learn how to work in those spaces and ultimately thinking about the bigger picture, right? If I come in saying no, 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 and opposing everything, right? Rather than being as open as I, as my values allow me to be right. uh, so that that way I can at least be part of the conversations because I am in the minority seat right now um, so that I can, at, again, at least be a part of the conversations and help mitigate the impacts that the people who I'm representing may face. And at least give information that they otherwise would never get. I'm sure that in the past, some information was you know, completely absent from these meetings, these council meetings and all these uh, councils that you're on. So thank yeah. goodness. Are things changing? Are, are we moving in the right direction? Or are we um, going to stay with kind of this very small majority keeping control of the city? No. So, you know, I last year, during my which was my first year, I remember thinking, well, we're not going to have, I'm not going to have any wins. I am in the minority. But as the year went on, I started to find ways where I did have the opportunity to take home some wins, which we did. And a great example of that was the Monterey Bay Community Energy. Yeah, um, that's So just to give those who don't know some context on that, um, we we joined a um, community energy aggregation program where um, Santa Marians will be able to um, receive... um, carbon-free energy at a reduced rate than they that they are currently paying. So um, again, this is a first time for us. You know, it's the first time that in the city of Santa Maria, we're going to be, um, you know, choosing where we buy our energy from rather than it being from a nuclear power plant, um, making sure that it's green, that it's clean, um, but then also keeping in mind um you know, the wallets of our residents. And so um, that was a huge win. And it was a split vote. It was a three to a three to two win. And so that is big. I mean, it's going to impact generations to come. And in addition to that one win, I mean, talk about, um, you know, affordable housing, we've been able to pass great projects here that were also split votes. I think that we have seen great changes, you know, and then also counting the small wins, like free youth bus passes for residents in San Camino. Yeah, a pilot program that now we are trying to find ways to continue to to implement or having a bench out at Foster Road for for folks who who take the bus, you know, our bus systems and and need to go and receive, you know, mental health services at at County Mental Health. It's not just looking at the big wins, but also looking at the small wins. And I mean, just yesterday, um, with the help of community really organizing them, organizing and and speaking up for their rights and 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 their fears and their concerns and demanding action from their leaders, um, we were able to um, move forward with protecting residents from evictions, protecting residents and small business owners from from evictions, which is something that I couldn't believe we we were even discussing and all agreeing on. Um, we have another opportunity 
this upcoming November here in the city of Santa Maria with three seats that will be up for election. And so I'm hopeful that um, more younger people and, um, you know, working class people will 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 choose to step up and and run for these positions. Yeah. yeah so that that's a great segue um, kind of into what we wanted to talk to you today um, about, which is Santa Maria's response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Do you have any um, general information with regards to maybe how many people in Santa Maria have it? I mean, at least mm-hmm. confirmed to have it. How the city is responding? How many people have died? Do you have any of that data to share with us? I do. I do. So um, the latest data that I have is from what I saw yesterday. And from what I saw, there were, I want to say, 59 cases in the city of Santa Maria, putting us with the highest number of COVID-19 patients in the entire county of Santa Barbara. You know, that's quite scary when you think that about 28% of folks with COVID-19 in the county are in our city. And I honestly believe, and I and I also take full responsibility for this, you know, I I feel like this just like everybody else, this pandemic caught everybody off guard. Um, but unfortunately, as other cities were taking swift actions to like closing down restaurants, closing down bars, closing areas where people tend to congregate and really talking about, you know, the importance of social distancing and the importance of taking this virus seriously, that it's not just the common flu. You know, while other neighboring cities and counties were doing that, um, we in the city of Santa Maria, it took us longer to respond. Um, I remember that at our March 17th council meeting, which was not that long ago, we literally had about 10 emails from residents asking us, where is our leadership during, during this pandemic? And so even though we were trying to figure out how we were going to support our employees and staff during this time. Um, I felt like we didn't, I personally feel like we didn't move fast enough to, to keep our public as safe as we could have. And so, yeah, that was really frustrating. And, and again, and that's when I decided to, to step up by doing um, questions and answers with our city manager you know, via Facebook Live and answering people's questions that same week, literally being on interviews four or five times a week, sometimes multiple times a day, mostly with Spanish speaking radio and uh, media outlets to ensure that the information gets out there. Um, And just trying to remind people about the importance of social distancing and then asking the tough questions like, why is it taking us so long to declare a local state of emergency? Or why is it that we have not put in place an eviction protection, eviction protection orders to protect our residents? Because staying, stay at home is not enough. Stay home if you're having symptoms is not enough. Not when you have to provide for your family. Um, not when you're afraid of, of not knowing whether you're going to receive services or benefits while the time that you are in quarantine. And so um, even though 
you know, I, I want to believe that our mayor really did and is trying to do the best she can to get out there. You know, it's it's still unfortunately not enough. And the reason why I say that it's not enough is because I keep hearing that from residents. And so um, this is really going to take all hands on deck. And I was left really hopeful during after last night's meeting when we were able to all five of us council members agree on the importance of of protecting tenants and small business owners. When we were talking about, you know, not cutting off utilities for our residents, not adding late fees. When we were talking about, you know, doing all we can to support small business owners during this time. Um, I think um, I am proud to say that I feel like the city is stepping up and really um, doing a lot more to help protect and our the safety and well-being of our residents but it did take us a little it, we were late in in reacting yeah and, and Joel and I both have kind of noticed um anecdotally how a lot of people aren't taking it seriously I'll go out for supplies you know I'll go out and get milk for the baby or diapers or what have you and I just see people hanging out chilling like nothing's going on um, I think there are a lot of people who are taking it seriously, which is heartening. Just want to add one thing to what you were saying, though. We had a friend, Luke Laurie, who was the guest on our show a couple episodes back, and he put out this chart that he uh, generated based on the data available at the time. And um, I was pleasantly surprised to see that even though Santa Maria has the highest number of confirmed cases of COVID-19, um, when you put it in terms of per capita, we're actually relatively low. And actually, Paso Robles, in terms of per capita confirmed cases, is the highest of kind of the local cities and towns. So even though we kind of started late, I feel like, thank God, <laughs> our confirmed cases, confirmed cases are relatively low. Yeah. I wonder if our city's emphasis on business also got in the way, because it's this strange choice we have to make between money and people's lives, and too often we <laughs> we end up taking uh, the business's side, um, not realizing that, yeah, that should be way down our list when it comes to people's lives. So hopefully the next virus that comes along will be much quicker to react. I think we will. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. We will. Absolutely will. And, you know, one of the things that I keep getting really frustrated with is when I hear certain elected officials or public health officials say, well, it's the Spanish speaking community or the Mixteco speaking community that just don't understand. They're not understanding what we are telling them. And so um, finding myself um, pushing back and saying, no, it's not that they're not understanding is that it's that we we were late in responding and we weren't doing all that we could have to get the message out there. Um, and I think that that's changing. I mean, it's it's scary times and, and we're seeing the numbers rise up. And so um, I'm starting to see much faster responses from county public health, our county board of supervisors, but then also representatives from the local level. A point that I made during yesterday's or last night's council meeting was 
for instance, with the Mixteco speaking community, you know, that's not that's not a written language. So it's not like we can just we can just translate documents. It's not like we can just send something home with the kids, you know, at, from their school. Some some folks may not have access to Internet or a computer. And I know that that's really hard to believe in this day and age. Um, but, you know, it's it's the truth. And so um, not only interpreting what we are saying, but then also keeping in mind the importance of being culturally competent when we are trying to relay this important information to to residents. And so I think that, again, going back to the importance of diversity, that's why it's so important, right? Being able to tell our public health officials like, wait, hold up. Do you understand that here in Santa Maria, we have residents that just got here from Mexico and may be doubling up with um, with with another family in in one household and so they're yeah. probably all going together to the grocery store so rather than talking about you know social distancing and stay put saying like send one member of your household yeah. out to the grocery store you know so really keeping in mind and understanding you know the unique populations within our community but again that really takes diversity right and having people who understand the different communities within our city. So that brings up an interesting question for me, at least. Um, Like, what are our avenues for communicating with with our Mixtecan communities? Do we have radio stations that that are Mixtecan, for instance? And do we have good community Mixtecan leaders that can get the word out? Yeah, so we have one um, we fairly new Mixteco um, radio station here in the city of Seattle. Oh, that's great. Um, And so what I've been doing is that I've been um, doing interviews with La Buena or with Tu Tiempo Digital, which are, um, you know, Spanish radio or social media outlets. And then what they do is that they give that information to the folks at that radio station and then they give out the information. Um, I know that they're starting, public health is starting to do a great job of doing interviews and also connecting more with that radio station. Um, But then also keeping in mind that we do have community agencies that work primarily with with that population in our city, like MyCOP. You know, MyCOP is an organization here in Santa Maria. They're based out of Ventura County, um, but they have an office here in Santa Maria and they serve about 4,000 Mixteco speaking residents in our city. I mean, that's the reach that they have. And so being able to fund and support organizations like MyCOP is incredibly important, not just during times of crisis, but it should be a standard where we, where we have built trusted relationships with those entities, with those organizations who have relationships with communities that are hard to reach because of our language barrier. Yeah. We mentioned at the outset that we wanted to give a shout out to our farm workers um, yeah. because we're we're finding right now that they are essential. <laughs> they are they are essential employees. Yeah. Um, what is Santa Maria doing to help to protect um, these farm workers. Is there any like policy in place or? Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, policy wise, other than the most recent eviction protections that we put in place yesterday, no. 
you know, Líderes Campesinas, I don't know if any of you are familiar with that organization, but it's a group of, of women who are field workers and they are organizers and advocates for their own people. And so Líderes Campesinas wrote out, drafted a letter and asked for multiple agencies, elected officials and community leaders throughout the state of California to sign on to it. And really what that letter stipulated and who it was sent to, um, it was sent to Governor Newsom and it, and it really um, stipulated, it, 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 it had um, all of the concerns, like I think they listed 16 or six main concerns, my, my apologies, six, six main concerns that um, field workers in the state of California have, along with recommendations as to how to address those concerns of the field workers in our state. That's great work that they are doing. And so one of the things that I did was that I sent it off to one of our county board of supervisors to see if we would be able to implement any of the recommendations that Líderes Campesinas um, had requested from the governor because I feel like rather than us being complacent and waiting to hear from our state um, officials here locally, we still have jurisdiction. I mean, we've declared a local state of emergency to protect the well-being of our residents. And so we have the authority to really enact swiftly and rapidly to, again, um, protect the health of residents. And so I sent that over to our County Board of Supervisors in hopes that they they would take on some of those recommendations. But, you know, I think that now that that council meeting from last night um, is over and I know that we have some sort of eviction protection here at the city level, um, that's definitely an area of focus that I, that I want to work on is how can we protect our field workers? Because unfortunately it's, it's, it's hard for them to maintain social distancing while they're picking crops. And during their lunch hour, you know, they have food trucks that go and they're all congregating and eating lunch together. And so um, my hope is that we can work alongside the growers um, and the companies to see if there is something that we can do to, again, um, further protect the safety of field workers. All the statistics we're seeing right now are that low, lower socioeconomic groups are getting hit way harder by coronavirus than, than um, higher socioeconomic groups. So I'm really worried for our students at El Camino, who you mentioned earlier, Gloria, that many of them are two families, three families to a house. So just that in itself will increase the chances of, of getting it. And, and so thank you so much for, for doing that. Do you see any um, movement? Well, Gavin Newsom has been pushing hard for more housing. What are the, what's the news in our city um, on housing and and is Gavin Newsom's push to to increase housing making a dent or it's so hard for these field workers to to get into a house because or a rent because things are so expensive here. Yeah, so I'm a part of the League of Cities um, Community Development and Housing Committee, and so um, what that group is set to do is really look over all of the new legislative legislation that's coming before the governor, and um, really again around housing and and development. And so it's really interesting to see the shift um, that's been made. You know, the way that people are t- thinking about development. 
and and you know housing is just changing so rapidly and in my take it's for the better he it's interesting how you know i i live in a newer part um of santa maria like a newly developed residential area and um the houses that are built here in this in this part of town um, are quite large. I mean, six to seven bedroom homes. The solution that I see is um, building smaller and denser. And rather than growing wide, we need to think of ways to grow up, not only to, um, you know, for costs, but then also for um, the protection of our planet. You know, um, we are constantly, cities are constantly, um, worrying about pensions, right? We're always talking about CalPERS and pensions and retirements. And so my take is if we can barely afford why, what we have, why are we going to add on expenses? You know, if we build, a, if we if we pave a road, that road is going to belong to us forever. And we're going to have to maintain it forever. And that means more employees. And so in order for us to be able to support the folks that we have on board now, right? And in order for us to reduce costs and in order for us to protect our environment, the solution is really growing up and um, and smaller, more affordable housing. And, you know, some of my colleagues at the city um, don't believe that affordable housing is even something that exists or that can 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 happen. Um, but I think that this is where we need to think creatively. And so many cities are far ahead of us, you know, with policies like inclusionary housing ordinances that um, that make it so that people from different socioeconomic backgrounds can live in the same neighborhood, right? Can live in the same apartment complex or condos. From what I'm seeing, um, the grants that are being afforded to cities are really pushing us to think creatively and think outside the box and really think denser, smaller units. Well, I'm really glad you said that because one of the issues um, in our town, in our community has been, we are kind of, I don't know if gentrified is the right word, but we are definitely segregated. For sure. And I, I think that's why it was so necessary that uh, we started doing our city council elections based on districts. That way it's not the same neighborhood or a couple of neighborhoods who are represented on the city council. So yeah, thank you. Thank you and everyone else for pushing that. Absolutely. It's more, it's more democratic that way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it, you bring up a good point about the segregation, right? Like, you know, I think affordable housing is a must and the faster we build the faster we get people off the streets and really the number one key to homelessness is prevention, keeping yeah. families from ending up in on the street. As, as much as I want to support, you know, single, like affordable housing units, right? Again, we just can't build affordable housing. We also need to put in place inclusionary housing ordinances that will make it so that, you know, we can all live together, right? That we should yeah. Have you know low-income families living all in one complex, and those with more wealth living in another part of town, right? And yeah, and I think that that's what inclusionary housing does, right? It, it makes it so that. 
we are all able to live together and it's not a burden on the back uh, on the wallets of the developers which is something that we constantly hear you know the reason why we can't build affordable housing is because it's too costly and we don't see a return on investment from for developers when in reality um, again we need to think creatively and the governor is pushing us to do that yeah, we yeah, hopefully we see some change on that front in the next coming years because that is such a huge issue. I hear about so many people just can't afford to live in Santa Maria, let alone the outlying communities, which are generally even more expensive. So, yeah, thank you for all you're doing in that field. The issue that's dear to my heart is recreation, and there's a lack of parks we all know in Santa Maria. And... Do you see any movement on that front in Santa Maria? There was talk of a possible park. Um, I think it was in that area around Adam School or just um, west of the field that's already used for soccer at Adam Field. Um, and I know that's such a difficult issue because land is so expensive here. Is there any movement on that front, Gloria? Yeah, so we have over 20 parks in the city of Santa Maria. Um, and one of the things that I've noticed as I was looking at our map was that um, you see not as many parks on the northwest side of town. Yes. Like yes. that's kind of where there's more of a park desert. Yep. Um, whereas in the other parts of town, as development has occurred, we are being very mindful of making sure that there's at least a small residential park in that part of the city, right? Which is yep. why I believe we have like the, the amount of parks that we have. But um, yeah, so that that's that's what we see. And so you know, right now here, like where in my where I live in Santa Maria by Jimenez Elementary School, they are building a park right now as we speak. Um, oh wow! Mm -hmm. They're building a park right now as we speak, and then that um, that um, that field, um, strawberry field parcel. Um, right in front of the 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 basin where people play soccer, right? Um, Santa Maria High School and the fairgrounds. That we 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 have in our development plans. Um, we have allocated part of that parcel to be um, for like a, a soccer complex and to oh, also include great. a park. Um, so, you know, we are talking about what development in that particular parcel would look like. And right now what we're thinking is park, is thinking a soccer, soccer complex or soccer fields, you know, at least, you know, eight fields and, or if not more. Um, but those are definitely part of the conversation um, that we've been having. Um, but I honestly think that in order for us to be able to keep um, to keep our young people, our youth safe away from gang violence, um, the solution is, again, prevention, preventative programs, you know, being yep. able to keep our, our young people active, engaged, um, and helping them practice their leadership skills. Um, and that's going to be in partnership with our community benefit organizations, our schools, our teachers, but then also from the city of Santa Maria. Like we need to do our part um, by making sure that we have um, as many parks that are set accessible, trails, because we, you know, during the COVID-19 pandemic right now, we are seeing tons of people going to Las Flores Ranch. I mean, we're having up to like 300 visitors per weekend when before it was about 40. 
Wow, I did and not so, know that. Yeah, and so we're really seeing a spike in in people wanting to be outdoors and wanting to take advantage of our of of those of the limited amount of trails that we have. And so my goal would be like if we do want to develop more in the outskirts that rather developing housing and commercial and big box stores that we think about where we can add more trails, places for people to be active. And then um, also looking at, um, you know, how can we get the young people or families who live in the north side of town to our downtown and other parts of our city if they don't have a vehicle. Um, So really looking at our transportation you know, you know, our transits, and then also looking at our bike, bicycle lanes and, and, and trying to see how we can make our city more walkable and bikeable. Nice. Yeah. I yeah. bike to school every day. I just started a couple of months ago, and um, I'm super excited about this downtown plan that might be adding um, bike lanes to, I think it's Broadway between where I live in the Carriage District and El Camino, at least, which kind of selfishly on my part, but that's, that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's definitely exciting. You know, we're working on our active transportation plan as well, um, where, you know, we've hosted a number of, you know, workshops where, and, and we've conducted community surveys asking people what the safest and most dangerous parts of town, um, it is to like walk or bike and really using that information to look at, um, again, where we need to add bike lanes or, or crosswalks, right. Or where we need to slow down traffic. And, um, with the downtown, um, plan that you were talking about, I think that our downtown is East main, it's West main street. It's going to be West main street. If you look at the way that the stores are facing the street, I mean, there's so much potential there to be able to have angled parking to slow down traffic. And we can easily divert those big semi trucks to go through Donovan or better Arabia or, or even stole right there that have straight shots all the way to the, to the coolers, right. That are on the other side of, Blosser. I think that Main Street has a lot of potential. Um, right now, we have been looking at projects that a couple of developer that a developer has submitted to build apartments um, right where um, the, on the corner of Broadway and Main, and then by where CAC is on Lincoln Street. And what's interesting is that rather than talking about we need more parking, because for some reason in Santa Maria, we don't have enough parking. (laughs) Here we're talking about like, well, we don't need as much parking. It's downtown. They can use the street parking, angle parking. And so I think that the more development we have, like housing development that we have, dense dense housing development that we have in our downtown areas, that's also going to force us to do a better job of looking at our bus systems and um, making sure that people can safely get from one part of town to the next. Yeah. And kind of jumping on to that part about businesses, you referenced this earlier, but what is our approach for small businesses in Santa Maria during this pandemic, because uh, I think it was the governor, uh, Governor Newsom, who I think could be a future presidential candidate, um, because he has been awesome during these press conferences. But 
he was saying that we could potentially be following these shelter in place or you know social distancing policies until November. So how will that affect small businesses in Santa Maria and what are we going to do to support them? Yeah, that's such a good question. You know, I think that, again, after last night's meeting, I was left really hopeful because I was able we were able to hear from our Chamber of Commerce and everything that they're doing to try and support small businesses, regardless of whether or not they are members to our chamber. Um, they are literally hand-holding a lot of business owners through the process of applying for SBA loans or, you know, linking them to other loan opportunities that they may be able to qualify for. But I think that one of the biggest gaps that we have is, is, is finding ways to support our undocumented small business owners. Mm. And um, I know that that's something that has not been talked about at all. <laughs> and no. um, today yeah. with the Latino Outreach Council from San Luis Obispo County, and they're wanting to find ways to support Santa Maria during this pandemic. Wow. And I was so shocked and thrilled when when they reached out to ask what they can do to support us. That and is amazing. So, yes. And so um, you know, I, I talked about that. I said, you know, the chamber is doing a great job, but you know, because I've been so busy on evictions, I haven't had time to focus on this other part, which is how can I help our chamber support undocumented business owners who may not have access to these loans, who may not have access to these federally government programs, right, that can help them through this crisis. And so, Again, there's so many moving pieces, and I think what this pandemic is really doing is that it's shining light on the disparities that exist, right? Again, the people most impacted by this are going to be those in the service industry, those who um, undocumented families or individuals. Um, and so finding ways to be able to support them is going to be crucial if we want to fully recover from this, um, from the economic impacts that COVID is going to have in our community. I am overwhelmed by yeah. the amount of of help and support that our residents need. And this is what I said to the Latino Outreach Council. I need help. Like, I can't do this by myself. Like, I've been so focused on evictions that I've been thinking about this, but I haven't been able to fully dive into it. And so I think what's what's so amazing is that this crisis is also making us, like, want to reach out to other parts to to outside of our jurisdictions and really wanting to help and so and support um support folks but um i know that the governor just recently also talked about deferring sales tax for small businesses and yeah. even though that's going to hurt um local government agencies it's going to hurt cities because that's the bread and butter um for for us you know it's you know, I applaud the governor's efforts, and I know that he isn't forgetting also about the impacts that this will have on on cities by deferring those sales those sales tax dollars. Yeah, and, and you'd hope that these this time of plenty that we've had in the last several years, and and hopefully we've been saving up like Newsom said we've had, we can use some of that money now in this rainy day. 
Absolutely. And that's what um, our city manager, Jason, and our mayor have been doing. You know, um, I know that our senator, Hannah Beth Jackson, who is amazing, and I'm so sad that she's retiring. Um, but she and Congressman Salud Carbajal have been calling and have been reaching out and asking, you know, what do you need? And, uh, you know, Jason, be our city manager, being able to say, you know, this is going to financially hurt us. Like, figure out what you can do for us. What can you do right now during this budget process at the at the state level? What can you do to 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 send some relief to to local to small cities like like ours? Yeah, you know, um, Santa Maria Times has been putting out articles about local restaurants that are still open to um, takeout during this time. And and as teachers, we still get paid during this time. So I and I know a bunch of us, uh, we teachers are are uh, continuing to, to support local restaurants by ordering out and stuff, which is very fun for us, too. But uh, at least it helps. And, and it's it's a two way street. Yeah, it's awesome. I, I just did uh, Red Robin earlier. I door dashed it and they just knocked on the door, left it on the porch. And then I was able to chow down on my uh, burning love burger. So, yeah, we need to think about supporting our businesses locally, but figuring out how to do that from a safe distance. So, for example, you know, my wife and I just ordered a couple of wine bottles from a winery in Los Olivos called Sarlos. And uh, have you, you guys are aware of this place? It's amazing. And they not the only sent us. Place. Yeah. yeah, they not only sent us wine, but they sent us a flight of cupcakes. So, so oh, we're here. I'm going to go get my wine on and my cupcakes on. I mean, they're in Los Olivos. We're here in Santa Maria, and they just shipped it to us next day, you know. Yeah, I've seen a lot of community support like that. It's just amazing things happening all over. I think that will pull through with, with that kind of behavior. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people may ask, well, rather than – buying something outside of Santa Maria, you should buy it here. But the way that I see it is like, you know, our economy is also very much dependent on our neighboring cities and in our neighboring counties. I mean, I know that the chamber has been doing a lot of work in, you know, advertising Santa Maria as a coastal city. You know, we are part of the central coast. Come, come visit the central coast, you know? And so I think, I think it's great. I'm, I'm thank you for still supporting our small businesses and, and keeping them in mind during this time. Yeah. And then I also, I want to wrap up because I don't want to take advantage of your time, but I could talk to you for hours. I'm sure Joel and I both could keep going. Yeah, this has been so fun. Thank you so much for being with us. uh, I really appreciate learning more, you know, about our city from, you know, someone like yourself. You know, I want to know, like, how many people in city hall or in city government are still working, are still considered essential, and kind of what steps are you guys taking to protect those workers. Yeah. So thank you for bringing that up. Um, so when all of this started, we we updated our emergency response plan, right? And um, that was more like internal in case X person was in, unable to come to work because of an illness, right? Because of COVID. Um, who would take over that essential job, right? Whether it's 
you know, putting the agenda, city council agenda together, whether it is, you know, making sure that a public request, public records request gets respond, responded to within the, the necessary time limit. Um, we, we, we updated all of those policies. But as of, as of this, this week, um, we have furloughed about 93 employees. Um, and all of those employees are um, part-time staff who were mostly working in programs or in youth services or were in the library. And so we, we had to move forward with, with furloughing. And, um, you know, that is never easy to do, but we also recognize that this is an opportunity for them to be able to um, receive the unemployment benefits that that are owed to them, right? That that they deserve to get in in during this time, um, especially if if we're not able to give them work to do, right? And so right. again, these were hourly part time employees. We move forward with that. And at this point, we are also at a complete hiring freeze. So we are not hiring any new positions. We are not filling any positions. And so um, that's that's really challenging. We are also right now working on on our budget, you know, our next budget. And um, all of this just made that process really challenging. We're looking at um, being in the red about $3 million just this this uh, by the end of this fiscal year um yeah. and that's and that's because of the impact of covid within just one month um, wow. and that's with us well that's this month and uh, and then also us planning for till the end of may mm-hmm. you know, see if this were to last until the end of may which i'm sure it will and yeah. so um it's hard to think of like creative solutions to bring in revenue when there is no revenue anywhere <laughs> right yeah, it's just a totally new time. Right, right. And I remember during my campaign saying, you know, we can't be so reliant on sales tax. We can't be so reliant on um, property taxes, right? Really, my point being like, we need to look at tourism as well and other ven- reven- other funding revenues and streams. But um, again, this time has really shifted all of that because we're seeing cities like Santa Barbara who are heavily dependent on tourism. And I mean, that is their bread and butter and seeing no tourism coming in. And here um, we have a really strong economy. I mean, we're, even though we may not have the tourism aspect, we are really self-sufficient. You know, we are being, we are able to pay for our own expenses through our sales tax and property taxes. Um, and so, again, I was talking to my city manager this morning and I'm like, well, I can't tell you to be creative with funding revenue because there's no revenue anywhere. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, one great thing that we have in Santa Maria, especially during these times, is agriculture. And man, it's been gangbusters for agriculture right now. So at least there's there's that as our foundation. Right. Right. I mean, our crop production value here in the county is over two billion dollars. Wow! It's a big part of our of our economy for sure here on the Central Coast, and so it's definitely a different time. Um, it's different times, challenging times. It's very uncertain um, because we don't know how that how long this will last. But I am. I am adamant that in order for us to protect the financial 
being of our of our city in order for us to to protect our economy we first have to protect the health and well-being of all of our residents in order for us to be able to jump back from from this crisis um and so that's where my priority is like keeping people safe and healthy um keep people in their homes the last thing people need to worry about is losing their home. The last thing people need to worry about is, you know, being evicted from, you know, their commercial space because of their inability to pay. This is for our small business owners. And then just finding ways to, again, keep people safe and healthy and getting the information out there as much as we can. Yeah. And then maybe I could ask you one last question. Um, I don't know, unless Joel has more to add to that, but no, we should, we should probably let it go after this. I know, I'm so sorry. I could go on and on, so oh, I won't. I apologize. I did want to ask you about, and I don't, again, I know you're focused on evictions, but I was just wondering if you had any kind of information to share with us regarding how all of this has impacted our doctors and nurses, our medical staff at Marion Hospital. Yeah, so Sue Anderson was at our city council meeting yesterday, and she is the president and CEO of Marion Regional Medical Center. And, um, you know, she was talking about how much work their staff has been doing in really keeping people sanitizing everything within within Marion, right? Um, and she literally said, you know, probably the safest place to be right now is at Marion Hospital, <laughs> just because of the, the the work that they're doing around the clock again to sanitize and and um, keeping, you know, people safe in there. And so my understanding is that at this point in time, last time I checked the numbers, we had about um, nearly 20 people um, in the hospital who were admitted, and a number of them were on ventilators as well. Um, last I heard, the biggest concern is um, the turnaround time for testing. Another big concern was, again, the lack or the difficulties and challenges in getting PPE, protective pers- personal protective equipment for their employees, and then the worry about running out of ventilators. One of the things that I've heard from folks is that people are staying longer on them, which is something that was probably not anticipated. So people are staying for um, at least two weeks, if not longer, on a ventilator. And so um, I think that the concern still is, you know, the possibility of of this really inundating our healthcare system. But they are right now working on preparing the old hospital here in town to to prepare for that, to prepare and and be able to take care of COVID patients um, there. Um, but she reiterated how they have been preparing for this and how um, because of the larger network that they are a part of, they are in a little bit of a better position than other um, smaller local hospitals. But it's still a worry of the protective, personal protective equipment, the ventilators, and again, the turnaround time and testing. Yeah, they're, they're definitely on the front lines. And, you know, we wanted to say that we totally support our medical professionals because they are literally on the front lines of this war against the coronavirus. 
Thank you so much. And I don't know if you all saw, but I believe that about a week ago, some of the nurse staff were pro, they were protesting because of the lack of protective equipment. And I I actually received an email from a resident whose mom was doing the cleaning of the rooms where the COVID patients were and her concern about her mom not having the adequate protective equipment. And so I was able to forward that to our County Board of Supervisors. And I know that public health jumped right in to make sure that everybody was was being kept safe. I cannot, like you said, we cannot thank our first responders enough during this time because um, right now we we are testing three firefighters because they um, are showing symptoms and we've sent them home. And so we're waiting for their test results to come back. And so, yes, you know, definitely a huge thank you to our first responders, our medical staff, but then also, you know, our grocery workers, um, the people who are who are, you know, preparing our meals when when we're ordering out and also our field workers, everybody who's an essential employee right now, like so much gratitude and and love to them. Yes. Thank you so, so much, Gloria, for being with us today. This has been so informative. I learned uh, 10 different things today that I had no idea were going on in our community. (laughs) Well, thank you both for inviting me. Yeah, we'll have to have you on again. Um, It's so awesome to have you on. We've had people like Abraham Melendrez, and God bless him. He, um, you know, he's suffering right now, too. He's sick. Mm -hmm. Um, People like Hazel Davalos. She's been on. We've had so many great people locally who are just doing great work, and we count you as one of them. And you know, we look forward to having you on again if you'll have us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for the invitation. I was so nervous, but I'm I'm so happy that I did this. <laughs> <laughs> You're awesome. Thank you. Thank you both. Thank you. Okay, for our outro, Jose and I generally like to talk about things we're reading, watching, or listening to. And Jose, what do you got this week? What have you been listening to during the age of coronavirus? Oh my goodness, there are just too many things. But, you know, I've actually had time to play video games. Awesome. Yeah, so I played um, the new Spider-Man game on my PlayStation 4. Um, really interesting take. You know, Peter Parker is older. He and Mary Jane Watson have already dated and broken up. And um, interestingly enough, one of the villains unleashes this virus throughout <laughs> New York City. And so I'm playing this game in the midst of the you know coronavirus epidemic, and it was blowing my mind. And spoiler alert, the virus ends up killing Spider-Man's Aunt May. Oh, and wow. So, yeah. That me. That's sad. Oh, that's sad. But it was, it's a great game. And the other game I started playing, too, was, um, I believe it's called Fallen Order. It's a Star Wars game. I've heard um, of it, it takes, yeah. It takes place kind of the beginning of the Empire, and you follow this Jedi who's trying to find a way to get in touch with other people who are Force-sensitive or, you know, Jedi who are in hiding. So lots of lightsaber battles and whatnot. It's, it's really fun. I've had time to play video games, which is rare. What do you got, Joel? Do you remember, uh, well, Bill Withers just died. He's a soul singer, and he wrote such great songs. Lovely Day. I've been listening to that so long, so much lately, because um, 
it brings my spirits up. Just the two of us is another song of his. Lean on me, ain't no sunshine. This guy recently died. I think it was a week ago. So we should uh, all listen to his stuff um, because it will definitely bring your spirits up. What a great talent! I, uh, Krista, and and my whole family actually have been watching the Guardians of the Galaxy series in chronological order. And it's been super, nice. super fun. I, I really suggest you guys do that. And then I've been playing not um, video games, but kind of dorky old-fashioned games online on a website called Jetpack. And it's got huh. these super fun quizzes, basically, where you try to guess like all the countries of the world really within like three minutes. And uh, go on to Jetpack, and I spent a couple hours, I'm embarrassed, as a nerd, um, learning every single county of California a couple days ago. Wow. So I know every single county now of California through this Jetpack website. That's super cool. I'll have to check yeah, that out. Jetpack? Fun. Yeah, nice. Jetpack. Jetpack. Yeah, super fun. Uh, I don't know what I'll do with that county of California um, knowledge, but it, I can tell you um, where every single county in California is. And I now know where Angola is, by the way, in the world. So if you want to know where Angola is, I can tell you. If you want to know where Angola is, get in touch with Joel. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Southwest Africa. Oh, there you go. That is all for this week. Thank you so much for joining us on our humble little podcast. You could do us a huge favor by subscribing to our show wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play, or Apple Podcasts. And be sure to rate our show and leave a review. Your rating will help others find this show. And be sure to find us on Facebook and Instagram at Conversation on Tap. Thank you so much for listening. And we will see you guys next week. Cheers. Cheers. well-spoken and knowledgeable and passionate about helping people. What a great, what a great gal. Oh my gosh. That was super awesome.